Well, we turn in the Word of God now to uh, 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. And our text this morning will be verse 13. I'm going to ask you to stand now for the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired, and inerrant Word. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For... For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. You may be seated. And with your Bible still open, I want you to look down with me this morning in the Word of God, verse 13, the text that we just read, and fix your eyes and your focus and attention on these words. For this reason, we constantly thank God. And as you read those words and you think about them for a moment, particularly in context, I think what you're going to ask yourself this morning is, for what reason? For what reason? You see, as you take these words and you look in the text before us and you look at the text after us, you start looking around and digging through the text. One of the things that you start to realize is, for this reason, really feels like you've just stumbled into the middle of a thought that uh, is disconnected from our text. It feels like we've jumped right in the middle of a thought that seems like it was just flown into the text. And for that reason, if I may borrow the language of the text, there's a whole series of so-called critical scholars that make an argument that some scribe somewhere along the line just decided to invent these words and just sort of smush them into the Greek text here. Because they don't make sense. And so this morning, if you were reading this with me and thinking through this with me in particular relationship to the context, I don't blame you for feeling in a sense like you're reading something that you're sort of stumbling over and wondering, why in the world is it here? Until you remember the peculiar nature and structure of 1 Thessalonians. You see, we said in our introductory sermon to this great letter, that one of the deepest concerns the Apostle Paul had for the church at Thessalonica was encouragement. And the reason for that is bound up in the circumstances of Paul's ministry. He labored among them, as we've argued, for at least several weeks, perhaps even several months, all for it to end very abruptly and violently as he was brought before the magistrate along with other church members. And ruthlessly kicked out of town. And the result was you had a church that was discouraged. You had a church that was wounded. You had a church that was persecuted. You had people come in behind the apostle and seek to shake that faith loose from their soul. Complaining about Paul, bringing charges against him. Reminding the Thessalonians that this great pastor had deserted and abandoned them and left the city in an uproar. For all those reasons, then, the apostle, when he writes to this congregation several months after his departure, has this deep burden, consolation, the encouragement of the saints. And because of the nature of the circumstances of his departure, and because of the circumstances which emerged in the congregation and in the life of the people there, the apostle does something which is entirely unique in all of his letters. He spends three chapters giving thanks. But you might miss it because of the way it's threaded together. You might look at uh, your Bibles this morning over to chapter 1 and to verse 2, and you have that very typical... Pauline giving of thanks. Verse 2, chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. We are completely used to that because that signals to us, having read Paul's epistles so many times, that he's going to unfold a series of things for which he gives thanks for. And he does, by the way. 
and give thanks for their works of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness and hope. Even in verse 4, their election by God. And it's that little thought there, that last basis of thanksgiving, that leads to a very extended digression. As we've already shown to you from verse 5 and following, Paul outlines a series of reasons for why they should be persuaded of their election by God. And then you come into verse 13, and it seems as if Paul's realization is he's said enough. He's coming back to thanksgiving. This time he wants to thank God for something different. He's thanked them, uh, God, for the genuineness of their life expressed in labors and steadfastness and election. And here he does something very interesting. He highlights something that was commendable about the Thessalonians. And that is how they heard. He commends them for how they heard. He commends them for how they heard the preaching of the word of God. And the thing that we want to explore this morning as we consider this verse before us is that genuine faith is reflected in how you hear the Word of God. Genuine faith is reflected in how you hear the preaching of the Word of God. That's our main point. We're going to unfold it in three parts. The reception of the Word, the perception of the Word, and the operation of the Word. Very simple points. The reception of the Word, the perception of the Word, and the operation of the Word. So let's begin, first of all, with the reception of the Word. And I think it's important, without being too nerdy here this morning, to note that we have two sort of important verbs in our text. That's the first one, you received, and then you accepted. You received and you accepted. And this verb received is sort of telling us the quality of that reception or accepting of the word. And um, as you think about it, it seems to me that three qualities emerge here. Compliant, active, and fruit-bearing. Compliant, active, and fruit-bearing. Now, it's going to take a moment to unpack this. And uh, the first thing I have to do, which I really don't like doing, is correcting the New American Standard Version. After all, it's what Paul preached out of. But sometimes it just gets it wrong. And and what it does is it sort of muffles and uh, cloaks what Paul actually says here. Because what your text says in verse 13 is, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard. But that's not what the text says. And it obscures the point that we need to make and to appreciate from this. The text literally says, you received the word of hearing. And just to uh, monkey this up a bit, because Paul's own language is a little clumsy or clunky at this point, literally what he says is you received the word of hearing from us of God. Now, all of this is pointing to the preaching of the Word. When he says, you received the word of hearing, it is a shorthand way of speaking of the preaching of the Word of God. Now, I just went back and forth in my thinking about whether we should do this, and I said, yes, turn to Romans ten seventeen this morning, because we've gone over this text so many times in the life of the ministry here, but I'm quite persuaded that it's never a bad thing to repeat things that we already know, especially when they're important things. But one way we can grasp hold of this idea of the word of hearing being shorthand for the preaching of the word is to hear a very similar sounding phrase in Paul's own words in Romans 10, 17. And he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You memorized it on your mama's knee. And if you didn't, this is a great verse to teach your children. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, you'll remember that 
is situated at the end of Paul's brief explanation of the power of the preaching of the Word of God. We could say it's the capstone statement that Paul wants to make about the preaching of the Word of God and what it means and why it's so significant. But your Bible's open there. Just look with me, for example, at verse 13. I know most of you could walk us through an exposition of this this morning. If you can, that's wonderful. Just just go with me on it because it's such an important verse structure here. But, but remember what he says here in verse 13. It's, it's an emphatic promise and declaration. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, every one of us should know this verse because if you're ever witnessing to a friend or a family member or somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ and you you talk a lot about Christianity, the end of the discussion may be something like this. Well, well, how do I become a Christian? Well, there's no better verse to take somebody to than this. Well, here's how you do it. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's as simple as that. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But imagine this this morning. That your friend who you're witnessing to is pretty savvy. And they say, well, that's great. But how do I call? The apostle said, I'm glad you asked it. He answers it in the next verses here. Notice we have a staccato sort of unfolding of questions, right? How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? (laughs) These are all very profound rhetorical questions. And the reality is, if you want to grasp hold of their meaning and see exactly how they answer, how will someone call to be saved? Just turn them into statements and walk backwards. Because when you do that, it makes perfect sense of the grand gospel logic. How will somebody call and be saved? Well, the apostle says, here's how it begins. God sends a preacher. Verse 15a. How will they preach unless they are sent? The obvious implication of the rhetorical question is they can't preach unless they have been sent. You back up to the next question. And we see here the apostle is saying that you can't hear without a preacher. So obviously... Paul is saying that hearing happens through preaching. And and then here's your um, linchpin. Here is that question of the apostle that uh, sets before us the, the crown jewel of the meaning of what preaching is. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How many times have I told you in seminary, I was sitting on the front porch of our house and I read those and I was reading a commentator and I fell off the porch because of what he said. It's translated for you beautifully in the New American Standard Version. How will they believe in him? Whom? You see, what Paul is not saying is that the way you believe is by hearing about Jesus. He's not saying that. It's wonderful that people hear about Jesus, about his person, about his works, about his grace, about his authority, about his majesty, about his glory. Oh, that's wonderful. But that's not what the apostle says is key to how somebody calls in order to be saved. What Paul says is they need to hear Christ. How will they believe in Christ whom they have not heard? You see, Paul is answering the question, how is it that somebody hears Jesus Christ and is saved? The answer is the preaching of the word of God. Because Paul's theology of preaching, not mine, 
the one that comes from the Bible is that Jesus Christ speaks through the preaching of the Word. Here's exactly how someone ends up calling on the name of the Lord and gets saved. Christ speaks to them through the preaching of the Word. It reminds us of John 10, doesn't it? Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. Take that entire theology that you have there and watch uh, the apostle um, shrink it down to size in verse 17. So, here's the conclusion of his theology of preaching. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. All of this detour into Romans 10 now has been uh, for the purpose of unpacking the correct translation of our text is they receive the word of hearing. The preaching of the word. And I also want you to notice here how he sort of just tucks in from us and then adds word of God. All of that the Apostle is saying is this is what happened when the Word was preached. You heard us preach, but the reality is it's a word of hearing. It's the Word of God. It's Christ speaking. And this is precisely what the Apostle Paul commends about them. When they heard the Word preached, they received it for what it was. Christ. Christ speaking the Word of God. Now, I uh, acknowledge this morning that all of this sounds strange to our ears sometimes. As often, perhaps, as you've heard this as a Reformed person, it still may sound strange to your hearing that this is where we get our very high view of preaching from. We don't get our high view of preaching from the fact that the preacher can explain a few Greek terms and grammatical concepts. That's not where we get our high view of preaching from. We, We get our very high view of preaching from what the Bible says the preaching of the Word is. It's it's Christ speaking to us from God in grace. That's where compliant comes in. That's where compliant comes in. Because you know, people of God, the Thessalonians, as I have repeated, and I'm so grateful for, were a bunch of pagans. They were a bunch of pagans. They were a bunch of people who never so much as even heard of Christ. They'd never heard of the gospel. They had never heard of the God of the Bible. They were steeped in a religious environment and context and orientation which is so opposite of the world of Scripture that it's even difficult for us to conceive of. And yet the Apostle commends them. Remember, he's giving thanks to God for them. And he's saying, what is so remarkable about you is how you receive the preaching of the Word. Compliantly. You accepted the fact that though you heard the word being preached from us, it didn't change your mind about what it was. Not a word from man. We're going to get in that in a moment. But Christ and the word of God. It's important. You know, there is a scholar a generation ago who pointed out that it's a... I suppose providential this morning that our law reading was from Exodus chapter 20. And uh, you remember the story around that, how that law was delivered on tablets of of stone. And um, God came down from uh, above and met with the people of God from that mountain. And it was uh, covered with thunderbolts and, and lightning. And this one scholar said that changed the history of religion in that moment. Let's not 
remember, uh, we'll set aside his presuppositions about things, but, but he said there was something so unique about what happened there. And the thing that happened there is he's saying that the God of Scripture and the God of Bible is making it very clear that the relationship he has with his people will be through words. Not images, but words. The relationship that God has formed with his people and the relationship which God sustains with his people is a relationship built on words and verbal communication. And so here are these pagans and idolaters who've never experienced word religion in their whole lives sit patiently under the preaching of the Word of God and they regarded it for what it was. It was compliant hearing. What a profound important point this is because so often people will say today that preaching just doesn't do the job it's outmoded and essentially what that means is we don't want to hear from God in that way that's what they're saying what they're saying is they want to shrink God down to their size and put him in their communication box. And what they are saying is what they demand to be able to hear from God as they prefer. So we have a generation of people who want to say that this whole business of preaching out motive, I prefer to hear my messages from God through my emotions. I prefer to hear God in my own personally heard still small voices. I want to hear from God through my own experiences. I will remember reading an article years ago from a professor of Christianity, a very liberal institution who made the case for hearing God on the hiking trail. You see, the idea is now we want to hear God in our own way. The apostle does not commend the Thessalonians for demanding on their preferred way of hearing. What he commends from them is that they heard the way God intends and appointed to speak in the preaching of the word of God. And they complied and he praises them for it. And as I thought about that, then this whole idea that what Paul is speaking of and giving thanks for here is the way they received the word, which was the preached word. It led to a couple more points here that I think we want to unfold for just a second. I don't want to get bogged down on them too long, but but I I want us to, to think about probably some other things that are in his thinking that are sort of packed into this very terse statement, but he doesn't expound or unfold fully here. And so the second thing I I think he's commending them for and how they received the word, they they complied with the very manner in which God has appointed to speak. And then they heard that word actively. They heard it actively. You know, the larger catechism, the Westminster larger catechism, uh, has this wonderful question. It's a wonderful question after it expounds the theology of preaching. It says, well, how should we hear the preaching of the word? Yeah, that's a great question, right? How should we hear the preaching of the word? Not every way of hearing the preaching of the word is a right way of hearing it. So so it asks the question, well, how should we hear it? Four things it isolates. Receive the truth with faith. Receive the truth with love. Receive the truth with meekness. Receive the truth with readiness of mind. You see, as the apostle is praising them for how they received the preaching of the word, I think one strong implication we can draw from is that it was compliant but also active. When they heard the word, they first of all brought faith to it. The preacher speaks about this in negative terms in Hebrews, right? In, he- in Hebrews 4.2, he-, he says, uh, We've had good news preached to us just as then. Who's referring to the Old Testament wilderness generation? And he says, but they didn't profit from it. Why? 
the answer is it wasn't mixed with faith. You know, as parents, we we make sure that our children come to church. (laughs) Our family, there was no missing church unless you were coughing up a lung and even then was questionable. When there's six kids in your family, we tend not to leave any behind. You go to church. And we tell our children, listen, hear that word. And we're teaching the very important lesson. But one of the things that we absolutely need to make sure that we're stressing along the way is not just that they're there and not just that they're listening, but that they're using faith because the preacher says that if the word heard is not mixed with faith, it doesn't profit. So you could listen to all the sermons in the world and you could become what my old Dutch Reformed elders used to joke about. Sermon tasters. Sermon tasters. They like to taste a lot of sermons. They like to critique a lot of sermons. They like to sit in judgment of a lot of sermons. But that's just tasting. To hear the word in a way that is commendable and that is fruitful is to hear it with faith. To bring whatever faith you have to that word and to listen to it and to absorb that message with faith. Otherwise, you will not be reinforced. You will not be invigorated. You will not be built up. You will not be sanctified. Bring faith. Active hearing is a faith hearing. Active hearing is a hearing with love. I love how this is brought out by the apostle. Again, in a negative way, he's speaking about a group of people in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 who he says, did not receive a love of the truth to be saved. In other words, they didn't love the truth. They didn't love hearing the truth. One of the things that ought to characterize us as we sit under the preaching of the Word, as we hear the Word of God, as we read the Word of God, as we meditate upon the Word of God, is that we receive it with love. Ask yourself this morning, why shouldn't you love God's Word? Why shouldn't you love it? It's an inspired Word. It's a heavenly Word. It's a divine Word. It's a powerful Word. It's a gracious Word. It's an adequate Word. Active hearing is a hearing of the Word of God with me engaged. Some people say, I can't get anything out of the preaching of the Word. And I say, well, there could be two problems. One of two. Either the preacher is absolutely horrible and he's not saying anything, or you're not actively engaged. Because a faith hearing of the Word and a hearing of the Word in love will ensure... The word is profitable if you add meekness. That's the third thing that the larger catechism brings to mind, meekness. I've always been fascinated by how James speaks of this when he says, in humility, receive the word implanted. You see, it speaks of a subjective characteristic about me. Am I humble enough to be taught? Am I humble enough to be taught? Or do I regard myself so significant and so important that I'll just take it or leave it? You show me somebody that is not humble before the Word, and I'll show you somebody that gets nothing out of the Word. Humble. And then the fourth one, it's it's one that I I absolutely love because of the narrative attached to it, readiness of mind. You remember those Brayans, right? The Bereans in Acts 17, how they were more noble-minded because they received the word with eagerness and examined everything they heard with the Scriptures. 
uh, we like to tease uh, sometimes that if you don't bring a Bible to church, get a phone with that app that makes the noise like pages being crinkled when you turn because the preacher loves to hear that. Why? Because it means you're engaged. And because we discern that from the teaching of the Word of God, I can't profit from the Word unless I am receiving it with a ready mind. I need faith. I need love. I need meekness. I need a readiness to hear. Active. Active reception of the Word. And finally, fruit bearing. And I was going to spend a great deal more time here, but our time is running, so I, I can't. But one of the things that I see, this must have been in Paul's mind uh, when he's thinking about praising them and thanking God for how they hear the preaching of the Word is because of what he said about them already. Is there a church which Paul dotes and gloats over more than the Thessalonians? I don't think so. And, you know, it's probably because they had a special relationship with him. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but think about all the things that we just heard over in chapter 1. Uh, uh, they have labor of love, steadfastness of hope, um, their election, they received the word of God. It came to them in power. And then verse 6 of chapter 1, here's, here's your list of things that Paul ticks off. They were imitators of the apostle and of the Lord. They were examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 7, from them the word of God sounded forth to every place. Verse 8. Verse 9, my favorite verse in all of the Bible. They turned to God from idols to serve Him. And then verse 10, they turned to wait for the Son of God from heaven. People of God, that is fruit bearing. That is a fruitful hearing of the Word of God. Imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ. Examples to all. Serving the Lord. Waiting for the Son from heaven. You see, when the Apostle is giving thanks for them for how they heard the Word, I think what he is saying is we are so grateful that the way in which you received the Word was not just as if it was a mental exercise. <sighs> I get bothered by this. People hearing as a mental exercise. Probably Right up there in the top, I'll put in my top three professors I've ever had. In terms of brilliance, academic credentials, everything. He said, don't take notes <laughs> when you hear the word preached. You could argue with my friend Bob all you like. But his point was, you're hearing from Christ. And you're to here to receive it in faith so that you can put it into practice in your life. We should have an active mental reception of the word readiness of mind, but you know, it can't just end with me knowing more stuff. A proper receiving of the word so that it's glorifying to God is the bringing forth fruit of it our lives. Remember the shorter catechism talks about how we're supposed to read the word of God. It's to lay it up in our heart and what? Put it into practice in our lives. If we are to be blessed through the, the preaching of the word of God, it, it needs to lead to spiritual fruit. And that's, of course, precisely what you see here in the Thessalonians. You know, just a quick point before we move on, and I, I know we have to be much quicker now, but I plan to spend much more time on this first point, and there's many things here that we could still go back to and keep drawing out because there's depths here that are significant. But, but one of the things that I think of here is, yes, Paul would have us rejoice in others when we see them receiving the word right. Yeah, of course he would. He's doing that here. He's doing that right here. He is, he is looking at how the Thessalonians heard the word. And he is saying, I praise God for how they're hearing the word. 
Well, obviously, that is a model unto us. We are to be grateful when we see that in others. But I doubt that he merely said that so that we'll learn how to thank God when other people hear the word. I believe he's saying that to teach us what we ought to seek for ourselves. I've always joked with you about the elbow sermon, right? They really need to hear this. Listen up now. Well, I wish uh, so-and-so was here looking around the service. I see they're not here. They could really use this one this morning. No, we all need it. But what we all to hear when we hear the Apostle Paul commending the Thessalonians for how they heard the preached word is to take it as an admonition to ourselves that this is what we ought to cultivate in ourselves and in this church. That we would be regarded as those who hear the word of God in such a way that it glorifies God. I remember early on in... In my ministry, how I was asked to preach at a at a local congregation for for a pastor, and I, I I preached there, and I was absolutely overwhelmed as I made it to the back door. A lot of these more formal churches, not like ours, but these more formal ones. When the pastor's done, he walks down the aisle, and there's a door in the back, and that's time for people to either let you have it or say hello. Well. Uh, <coughs> You know, I was overwhelmed by people coming up to me and asking question after question after question. Not because they were criticizing or asking gotchas or settling points where they disagreed with me. They were asking to learn. Asking to seek for application. Seeking to draw out and dig out the gold that was in the hills of the Word. And then I got emails and letters and more questions. I was overwhelmed by it, really. And I think I've barely ever seen it that same way uh, in others. And, and I asked the pastor, I said, how in the world do, do you know, first of all, this is what's happening in your congregation? And then I said, how did it happen? And he said, uh, we're making an effort as pastors and elders to, to pray for this. I think that's what the Apostle is teaching us here as he pauses to give thanks in this letter is is to commend to us what we should be concerned about, that we hear and receive the Word of God in such a way that it's commendable because of its compliance, because it is active, and because it is fruit-bearing. Hold those in your mind today, people of God, as you think about the preaching of the Word. This is how you're to receive it, compliant. To receive it with action. To receive it in a fruit-bearing way. That brings us to the perception of the Word. We uh, examine the reception of the Word, and now we deal with the perception of the Word here. And this is really the basis, I think, for for why they received it in the way they did. Look, look down with me at your Bible, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It's going to be right in the middle of your text here as he says, You accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. This is tremendously important here because it tells us why in the world were they hanging on the words of the preacher? After all, he said they heard it from us. What's so big about hearing? Preaching. From another man. Here the apostle says, because you discerned in it what it actually was. The Word of God. You know, uh, the Reformed are very big on sola scriptura. I think we all agree with that, right? They're all large on Scripture alone. But they say the most shocking things about how they regard the preaching of the Word. And one of those statements is in uh, the Second Helvetic Confession of Faith, Article 1 on the Holy Scriptures. And you know what it says? It says the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. And what that means is when the preacher expounds the Word with, with accuracy and with faithfulness under the guidance of the Spirit, it's God's Word. 
And, and you know, I can't help but notice that, that butt right in the middle of our claws. It's big enough to stub your toe on, isn't it? Because he says negatively, you didn't receive it as a word from men. Although you heard it from us, you didn't receive it as a word from men. You didn't receive it because of the apostle's person or of his eloquence or of his intellect or of his style. You received it not as from men, but, he says, a word from God. This is where we begin to think this morning. What is it about the word of God that just grips you? What is it? How how could they perceive it? Remember, they received it. That was our first point. But, But the reason for why they received it is because they perceived it as the word of God. And Start asking yourself the question, how how does somebody have that perception? And the answer is because the Word of God has these qualities about it. One of um, the great verses in the New Testament, I'm giving all kinds of the best ones this morning for you, but one of the great ones is is Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. There it is. This is one of those verses you got to memorize. And the thing here is it gives us three qualities of the Word. And the very first quality of the Word of God is living. It's like a headlight in the text, in the original, because the very first word in verse 12 is alive. Literally it says, alive, the Word of God for. How is it that when they heard the word, they could perceive that it wasn't just from men? And one of the answers is because the word of God bears upon its stamp. This living quality that it's not dead. It's not fake. It's not empty. It's alive. One of the most profound statements I ever heard in seminary after reading thousands and thousands of books was this. Be careful when you study the Word of God. Because when you do, it's studying you. Be careful when you study the Word of God. Because when you do, it's studying you. And I've read a lot of smart people, but I've never read somebody that studies me back when I read them. I've read the best of the philosophers, but none of them study me when I read them. This is the Word of God. It's alive. The next one is it's active. It means it's powerful in its operation. The third, I love this term, sharper than any two-edged sword, because what you need to be thinking of here is a scalpel. It's not like a hatchet which chunks things into pieces. The word is makaira, which means a double edge, sharp as a razor knife on both sides, which makes these piercing, precise cuts. How did they perceive that this word which they heard from the apostle wasn't from men? Well, because the word did it all. Reminds us of Jesus and what the crowd said about him when he was preaching in the, in the synagogue in Capernaum and they heard him for the first time. And they said when they were done after the shock and awe that Jesus must have delivered, they said what? This one speaks with authority, not like the scribes. You see, they were able... To perceive the stamp of the divine upon it. I had it in my notes to talk about how we perceive the word. But I think these texts do enough for us. We just need to remember this morning that the word comes with these very qualities. And the spirit of God himself persuades us and testifies with our spirit. That this is the word of God. You can't argue into believing the Bible is God's word. That would be impossible to do and fruitless to do. It has its own qualities. 
And here's one quality that we can all be grateful for. It's the end of our text. It's our final point. We'll be done in just a moment. But we've seen the reception of the word. We've seen the perception of the word. We've seen now the operation of the word. And it's marvelous. Look at the end of verse 13. Which also performs its work in you who believe. Which is a pronoun looking back to its antecedent, which is the word. And so the apostle is saying the word performs its work. The word performs its work. And guess what? This is the same word that you had in Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active. That's the same word here. He says the word is active. The word is powerful in operation. And guess what? It is a, a present tense word. So it means once it's starting, uh, once it's settling into your soul, it, it, it's like the hamster that never gets off the wheel. It is active. And so two points I want to make, first of all, is that it's, um, it's a personal operation. Look at it here. It's clear as day. It performs its work in you. You know, we, we can say all the right things about the Word of God, and we should. But there's one thing that we say about the Word which we know without ever picking up a book. That it's at work. It's at work. It's amazing how the Word of God has this captivating feature that when you take it in, it it goes to work on you. It, it, It cuts you, right? To convict you of sin. How many times have you ever heard the word read or preached or read it on your own and you weren't expecting for it, you weren't planning on it, you weren't preparing for it. It's like it snuck up on you by surprise and stuck a dagger in you and said, I'm convicting you of this sin today, John. It's personal. This is one of the things that's supposed to be happening in us when we hear the word. We talked about that fruit bearing quality of receiving the word, but that's because this is what the word does. It convicts. It convicts me of my sin. It convicts me of truth. It convicts me of God's promises as being true. I can't tell you how many times I've taken the word of God to somebody in a a hospital, sometimes on their deathbed, bringing the Word of God to them and watch how it changes their physical manifestations. The Word at work in them is so powerful and so personal. It's amazing. Giving peace and hope and comfort and strength. It's personal. We rejoice in the operation of the Word of God in our life because it's something that I don't need to read a book about to know. I know it because it's happened to me. How many times have you been overwhelmed with anxiety to think about Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How many times have you been overwhelmed with the knowledge of your sin? You remember that tremendous verse in Psalm 103 that the Lord removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And in that moment, you are persuaded that God is favorable to you because He has washed you from your sins. And though your sins accuse you, God is merciful. It's personal. But don't forget what it says here as it connects this personal operation to the believer. It says it's at work in you who believe. You take away all that we just said about that personal operation of the word. If you separate faith from the word. You see... The faith operation is what is critical. I need to bring my faith, whatever I have, to the Word. And when I do that, God takes the Word with His Spirit and it changes me. 
You know, people of God, that is what makes all of this so hope-filled. Uh, so, sometimes read, read um, the second half of most of Paul's letters. But let's just say Ephesians from, let's say, uh, chapter 4 to the end because it's so full of commands. And he's saying, do this and do that and do the other thing. But as much as we take those as admonitions and, and properly so because that's what they are, think about it like this. This is the change that God wants to work in you. This is the change that God wants to bring to your life. Do you have an anger problem? God wants you to control it. Do you gossip? God wants you to stop it. Are you jealous? God wants you to esteem others. Are you irreverent? God wants you to fear. Do you lack wisdom? God wants you to have insight. Do you have doubts? God wants you to have conviction. Go down the list of things. And one reason why we rejoice in the Word of God is because this is what God does for us. This is God's grace to us. He, he takes the Word under the operation of His Spirit and He goes to work on our soul. That's the hopeful news that the Apostle has for us here this morning in the Word of God. And so, as, as I conclude, I, I just want to say this. You may have forgotten many things, and you, you, you may have drifted out here or there, but I, I want you to take away this as you walk away from this Word. As, and remember, Paul is commending the church for how it hears the Word of God. And they heard it a certain way because of how they regarded it. It was God's word. And they knew that that word could do something powerful to them. And that's what I want you to walk away with this morning. Is God and his grace can use his word to work powerfully in you. So bring your problems to the word of God. Bring your problems to the word of God. Your concerns to the word of God. Your lack of faith to the word of God. Your doubts to the word of God. Your need for peace and assurance to the word of God. And what he'll do is he'll do what Paul says the word does. Perform its work in you who believe. Father, this morning we thank you for a marvelous text. We remember it's not from the Apostle, it's from the Holy Spirit. But speaking this through the Apostle to the unique needs and situation of your church then, it gives us something to lay hold of for ourselves now, what we need is you to help us to be those who receive the word of God in a way that is commendable, compliant and active and fruit bearing as those who know what it is, the very word of the living God. And to know the joy of its powerful and gracious operation. So, Lord, I pray that you would give every single person here large ears and a ready heart. We take this verse into our life. Let it do its work upon us to change us and renew us and build us up in grace. So hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.